Uh, I invite you to join me there in your copy of the Bible, the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. And may the Lord bless our time together in His Word this morning. There's a saying, maybe you've heard it before, red skies at night, sailors delight. Red skies at morning, sailors take warning. This is an ancient sailing rule of thumb for predicting weather conditions on the sea. I'm an old Navy sailor, and so I I learned this, and I learned it from an even older Navy sailor. And I've already learned there's some veterans in the room and, and maybe an old firefighter or two, I see. So maybe we can swap stories after we're finished. I wore the uniform for four years right out of high school and sailed the seas on, really it's a behemoth of a ship, an aircraft carrier, the George Washington. I can still remember walking out on the catwalk along the edges of the flight deck while we were out to sea and gazing across the ocean. As far as you could see, in any direction, it was just ocean. No trees, no buildings, no sound of cars, no street lights, nothing. By day, just deep blue water from horizon to horizon. And then at night, well, the night was one of my favorites because on a clear night, you look up into the sky and you would be overwhelmed by the number of stars. Now, we live in the country, right, so we can see a little bit more of the stars than you can see in town. But out there, there's no lights to dull their their shine, there's no trees to block the view. It's just overwhelming. So sailing on the open water, it's an adventure. But sometimes the sea will remind you just how small you really are. I remember sailing in the North Atlantic one winter and a storm swept over us and it was tossing that behemoth of a ship like a rag doll. Uh, The waves were so large that at times they would spill over flight deck. This is multiple stories above the water. Facing severe storms on open water can strike fear in the saltiest of sailors. In moments like that, you realize there's only one true shelter, that ship that's so strong when it's sitting at port. You don't have the same faith in it as you did when you were at at port as you are in the middle of the storm. The only shelter is the maker of the waves that are so threatening. And such was the case for Jesus' fishermen disciples one evening there in Mark chapter 4. So it had been a long day of, of ministry for the Lord. He'd been teaching through a series of parables, and as I understand, y'all have been studying those recently up to, to now. So he's been teaching through all of these parables there along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd was so large that he had to get into a boat and kind of push off the bank a little bit so that he could address the whole crowd. And so he got in the boat. He's teaching off the bank, and evening is drawing near. And so the Lord, well, he was tired. just worn out from all the ministry, all the teaching, all the, the people longing to hear from him. And so he gives the order to his followers Let's set sail to the other side. And this is where we pick up in our study in verse 35 of chapter 4. But before we read the text, let's pray and ask God's help as we study it. 
Father, this is Your Word. You are the Holy One and You have spoken. So help us, I pray, to approach Your Word with reverence and I pray with an expectation to hear from the one true God. Lord, we need Your help to understand the Scriptures. We need Your Spirit to apply them and open our eyes so that in this text we can see the majesty of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for, to make much of Him. And so I pray that You would help us to see Him, behold Him as He is in the text today. Help me in my weakness to do what You'd have me do in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's Word from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and following. On that day, when evening had come, He said to them, Let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Him with them in the boat, just as He was. And other boats were with Him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind. And said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that's where we'll stop our reading this morning. May God add his blessing to it. Now, here's the point right out of the gate. I think the whole point of these events that evening long ago and for Mark recording them here for us is precisely to answer the question the disciples raised at the end in verse 41. Who then is this? Or as Matthew puts it, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so as we move through these verses, yes, be amazed at the calming of the storm. I mean, come on. He spoke to the storm and it quit, right? Be amazed at that, but don't be distracted by it. Mark did not write this so we can say, look, Jesus calmed that storm for them and He will calm all the storms in your life too. Because if we go there, we miss it. The storm is not the point of the passage. Rather, see what Jesus does in calming the storm and let that direct your attention to Him and your wonder to Him, just as it did for the disciples. When they saw what He did, it drove them to marvel and to fear Him. The general outline of the study this morning is not original to me, but I found it especially helpful. So if you're taking notes, notice first, number one, the storm versus 35 to 38. Now, I I read this and think that our Lord would fit nicely among Louisiana folks. 
because he spent much of his time by the lake. Uh, much of his earthly ministry was on or near this very sea, the Sea of Galilee, which is basically a large lake. It's about 13 miles long, about 8 miles wide. This is the sea upon which uh, he would walk on those uh, tossing waves and stormy seas a little bit longer. He'd just take a little stroll across the water. Along its banks, he called his first disciples. Chapter 5, as you get to that next week and following, uh, you'll see him on the other side, uh, along the, the shore of the same sea, casting out demons. He knew where all the honey holes were, as we see in his post-resurrection appearance when he shows up along the sea and his disciples are out on a boat fishing and they've not caught a thing all night. And he says, well, why don't you put in here? And they make a miraculous catch. So he knew this lake. Many of his disciples were the same way. They were experienced at sailing on it. They were fishermen. They knew it like the back of their hand, much like many of you probably know the river, Lake Darbone, or maybe Caney Lake. Well, it was the close of an, ex an exhausting day of ministry there by the sea. And the Lord gave his instructions to the disciples there. Verse 35 36, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was in other boats were with them. So he gives the order, and as we've seen through reading the rest of it, after they set off for their destination, which is the other side, the other coast, uh, on what appears to be good sailing conditions. Seems to be a nice, calm night. Jesus lay down for a nap. Jesus was tired. And this is not an insignificant detail. I don't know about you, but I might be quick to just go right on past that part as if it, it's just a piece that helps fill out the story. But Mark is writing this gospel account to reveal to his readers who Jesus is. And so nothing's wasted. So when we see the text say that Jesus was asleep, it's teaching us something about our Lord. So remember, uh, several times in Jesus' life, we, we read about things that communicate to us uh, His humanity. We read about He was hungry. He was thirsty. He slept. He was grieved. He had emotion. These types of things. All of these descriptions of His earthly life emphasize the fact that our Savior was truly human. Now, I think usually in a typical church crowd, we, we get it, the idea that He's God. We don't often miss that detail. Sometimes we might downplay His humanity. He was a truly human, the second person of the eternal triune Godhead took on flesh, including its limitations, including its frailties, and He dwelt among us, and He walked in our shoes, and He got tired, He took naps. Next time someone tries to pick on you for taking a nap, you say, hey, just trying to be like Jesus, right? Uh, to speak of Jesus' humanity with maybe more formal language, we could say it like this. As truly man, 
Jesus Christ possessed in His state of humiliation, that is, He took on flesh and humbled Himself, He took in His state all the natural limitations and common infirmities of human nature. He was made like us in all respects, yet He was without sin. If it were otherwise, He could not stand before God in your place and be your Savior. Now verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Let me tell you, there's some folks in this world that when they lay their head on the pillow at night, they have no clue what happens until the next day. I see some grinning. There must be some in this room. I mean, they're dead to the world. A freight train could bust through the front door or a tornado rip the roof off and they wouldn't be any the wiser until the next morning. It seems like Jesus was having one of those sleeps that night. And unlike my experience of the storm in that uh, aircraft carrier made out of 60,000 tons of structural steel, the boats that Jesus and His disciples sailed on really weren't much more than a glorified wooden john boat. They're about 27 feet long, about 8 feet wide, flat bottom, about a 4 foot tall hole on the sides there. There was room for four different oarsmen to row and then a main mast in the middle with one little sail on it. And in the rear, there was a raised platform with a cushion on it. And that's where the coxswain would direct the ship. It was on that cushioned platform that Jesus slept when suddenly this doozy of a storm swoops down from the lake. And because of the lay of the land there, uh, this this, uh, high altitudes of the surrounding land, the low altitude of the Sea of Galilee, it was then and it is still today given to sudden and fierce storms rising up almost without warning. I was studying this and I thought, well, it's a shame they don't have Jared Floyd the chief meteorologist, right, to to give them that six-minute heads up like we have. And the language that Mark uses there in verse 37 to describe this storm, it communicates a furious storm or hurricane. It's not like what we had the other night. A lot of rain, some wind, but, you know, nothing really to sweat. This is a severe storm, furious gusts, Floods of rain, a mega storm, we might say. So in short order, those experienced fishermen who'd been on that lake their whole lives, they're overwhelmed. The wind had blown the boat this way and that way. The waves were tossing it up and down and crashing over the sides and filling it with water. Just imagine what it must be like in that situation. The only thing you have to stand on is sinking No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't save the boat. And as far as they were concerned, to use the technical language, they were goners. It was looking like it's coming to the end. Well, where's Jesus in all of this? Right? Have we forgotten about him? He's in the story too. Where's he at? Was he in a frightful panic? Was he pulling his hair out and wringing his hands and trying to figure out, like the rest of them, how we're going to make it through? No. Verse 38 says he's asleep 
on the cushion. Like the prophet Jonah, who slept his way through a perilous storm that threatened the lives of the crew that, of the ship he was on, Jesus slept. Like Jonah's shipmates who came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Well, the disciples, in great fear, they turn to Jesus and they're crying out, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Matthew's account records it. Uh, there's several on the boat. So, uh, Mark gets a few of uh, what a few of them said. Matthew gets what a few of them said. Luke gets what a few of them said. So Matthew includes some of them saying, Save us, Lord! We're perishing. And then Luke uh, records, Master, Master! We're perishing. Jesus, wake up already! Help! When at last they were defeated, and overwhelmed by the danger, they didn't know what else to do, their strength was spent, their ideas were all run out, they looked to Jesus, their teacher, their Lord, their Master. Yet I wonder if you sense the accusation in the plea that some of them brought to him. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Aren't we also prone to doubt the Lord's concern for us? Especially when we're facing those overwhelming trials of whatever kind it might be. Aren't we prone to do the same thing? Lord, do you, do you even care? Are you sleeping on the job? Sure we are. These disciples would soon find out not only that the Lord cares for them, but they'll discover that they are severely underestimating just who their Lord really is and how unshaken He is by the same raging temptations that bring all of us to our knees. Jesus isn't shaken. He's not stirred. His peace hasn't left Him. Number two, the calming of the storm. Verses 39 and 40. Let's look at 39. So they come and they wake Him, and He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Maybe among church folks who read the Bible all the time, that won't seem like a crazy verse. But what, what did it just say? He rebuked the wind and said to the sea. So he's awakened from this slumber. I imagine he's stretching, sitting up, maybe rubbing his eyes. And instead of taking command of the ship in order to direct it to safety, he takes command of the storm. And just like always, he does the unimaginable. Just like you think that you figured out what Jesus is going to do. He's going to blow your mind with what he does next. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the sea. Peace, be still. And the crazy thing is, the wind and the seas obey him. 39, verse 39, the wind ceased, there was a great calm. The disciples had seen Jesus rebuke demons. 
They'd even seen Him command diseases and disabilities. But never had they imagined they would see Him rebuke creation itself and it render perfect obedience. This kind of thing can only be done by the divine, right? I mean, who can command creation besides God the Creator? Well, nobody can. And that's exactly the point. Jesus is much more than a fabulous healer of our ailments. He commands creation itself. And so as the disciples stood there, they're soaked to the bone, no doubt, and their jaws on the deck of the ship after seeing this. Jesus questions them in verse 40. It's almost comical. Why are you so afraid? Well, you just slept through that storm, Jesus. I mean, what do you mean, why am I so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Maybe in other words, we could paraphrase what he's saying here. Did I not say that we were going to the other side? Verse 35. What made you so afraid as to doubt that we would make it? To doubt that what I said would come true. Maybe they really didn't know. They didn't understand why he was there. He was there to die on the cross. And he kind of tells them that several times along the way. And it doesn't sink in. So this storm wasn't going to take him out. He had another purpose. The plan of God to fulfill. Why are you so afraid? Can you hear his concern in that question? I mean, yes, he's, he's challenging them. Where's your faith? Why are you scared? But do you see his concern for them? Even in those words? Blinded and driven to doubt by the threatenings of the storm, they accuse, Teacher, do you not care? And certainly he cares. The problem in the stormy trials lies not in Jesus' concern for His people. The problem lies in His own people's misunderstanding of who their Lord really is and how unshaken He is by the same raging tempests that bring us to our knees. When we're in different storms, and we need to be careful not to allegorize this passage. This is a historical event that really happened. But when we face storms in life of different kinds, whether it's a weather event or something else in our lives. The problem's not that God doesn't care for you. The problem is we don't really understand who our God is. And so the answer that we need is not an explanation. The answer that we need is Him. And that's what they are slowly starting to experience in this event it seems to be God's design of how this whole thing plays out as and in this final verse I think there's just a dim spark of a light that starts to come on for the disciples so number three the calmer of the storm verse 41 and they were filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey Him. 
One storm is replaced by another here. The one around them is replaced by the one within. Matthew's account, as I uh, mentioned a moment ago, it says, the men marveled. They're dumbstruck by what they've seen. They marveled saying, what sort of man is this? Who is this guy standing before us who shortly ago was so tired that he crashed hard on the cushion to take a nap? And now, as he rubs the sleep from his eyes, he calms the raging tempest all around with a word. So the disciples, they had embraced Jesus as Messiah. He was their master. He was their rabbi. He was the one they were trusting in and following. They had embraced Him as rabbi. But they didn't yet understand the magnitude of what that meant. And I dare say we don't either. We might have sparks of understanding here there along the way and we get a little, a little more of a clue the more time we walk with the Lord. When the storms come, we act like we never knew anything, right? We don't really understand either. Jesus is more than a prophet, He's more than the royal descendant of David. He's more than a worker of miracles. Jesus is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. What sort of man is this standing before them? He is the God-man standing before them. Psalm 89 verses 8 and 9 is a, a psalm of praise to the Lord. And it says this, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you steal them. The question is there, who is mighty as you are, O Lord? And the, it demands nobody as an answer, right? Who is like you, O Lord God of hosts, who rules the raging sea, and when it rises, you still it. Or Job 38, verses 8 through 11. The Lord challenges Job there, and he, he questions him. He says, Who shut the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. The Creator Himself, the Lord God the Almighty, is the only one who can pull off this move that we're reading about. And that's exactly the point of the passage. Mark is drawing our attention not so much to the calming of the storm as to the calmer of the storm. The book of Hebrews describes Jesus, the calmer of storms, like this. In chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. That's Jesus, His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. Everything is His. Through whom He also created the world. Through whom did God create the world? God the Son. Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe 
by the word of His power. So what the disciples failed to understand that day is that even while He lay in deep sleep to recover His tired body, Jesus was at the same time upholding the universe by the word of His power. He is the God-man. And dear friends, this is the same one who came to die in your place and mine on the cross to rescue us from hell and to give us eternal joy with Him in heaven. Let that sink in and worship Him. Let's pray. Lord, if we are truly beholding even a glimpse of Your greatness here, then words all of a sudden fail. How do we find words worthy of You? Please help us to understand. Help us to see with fresh sight the glory of Christ Jesus. be overwhelmed with affection for Him and in awe of Him and to respond in faith and trust and worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.